Jonathan Bergeron is on an absolute tear with the Grand Rapids Griffins. And uh, after some Twitter discourse got the debate heated, we discussed whether or not Ken Holland was ever actually a good general manager. You're locked on Red Wings, your daily podcast on the Detroit Red Wings, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Lockdown Red Did Wings that podcast. Take long? No, I accidentally had the overlay on. Oh, I was like, I was like, why did that take so long to get we're back to us? We're off to a stellar start here. <laughs> um, oh, whoops! We are hosts Brian Fisher and Scotty Bentley. I'm on Twitter at Brian Fisher nine seven one. He's on Twitter at Bentley Scotty. He's also the host of Locked On Tigers. And we thanks for making to talk about today. By the way. At Locked On Tigers. Oh, Locked On Tigers. I'm like, we always have stuff to talk about. No, here. no, I'm not. I don't want to worry about us. But in, the, in a lockout sport, we actually had like a current event, baseball, like international signing happened. So I actually had like present day things to discuss. It was kind of fun and reminded me of the good old days of two months ago. Of when baseball was actually a thing. All real sport concept. that existed. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's not not a myth. It's a concept. Um. Thanks for making us your first listen every single day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Subscriber count is at 123. We've gained eight followers since yesterday's, or eight subscribers since yesterday. So, yeah, we keep we keep climbing. <laughs> I can't believe you just did that. Uh, <laughs> if you guys aren't watching on YouTube. You can, yeah. though. That's the thing. You can. Um, we had a couple things to talk about. Uh, Jonathan Bergeron is on an op- absolute tear on Tuesday night. Against the Cleveland Monsters, or are they still the Monsters? They've gone through a couple different uh, name so. changes. He had four assists, and then a couple nights ago, he had an absolute filthy overtime winner. And after what was a cold start for Jonathan Bergeron, uh, he has very quickly become a dominant force uh, with the Griffins. He's finally adjusted to North America, North almost a North American, North America. And that 2018 uh, entry, uh, 2018 draft pick, third over or third round, 33 overall. Holy cow! I'm struggling today, Scotty. Uh, he that he, and the layover at yeah, the beginning, man. It's, it's just you know, some days are like that. Some days are like that. But the point <laughs> being is, Bergen finally looks like he might be NHL ready. Yeah. No, I mean the the. He went a little bit of a goal streak there earlier in the season and then kind of cooled off with the goals scored. But the assist totals have been phenomenal all season. And he's just under a point a game, I believe, like .92 or .93 or something like that. Um, just a few points away from, from being a point-a-game player. And a large majority of those are all assists. The playmaking has been stellar down there. Uh, I think maybe in a perfect world, you'd like to see the goals uh, – smidgem higher but uh it's not to the point where you're looking at him and you're like oh wow he needs to stay down there for you know two more seasons or another season or whatever and work on himself i think he's pretty close to breaking through yeah i still would want to stay away from having him play more than his like rookie minimum this season they don't want to burn a year on that but 
because you can you can just start him next season. You're already halfway through the season at this point, and you don't really need to bring up another rookie. There's not really room for him on this roster as is right now, as he's a you know can play e- either wing. Um, even though the depth could use somebody like him, there's just not really the roster spot at the moment to give him. Um, we kind of had this, this discussion with Joe Valeno earlier in the season. Now what Valeno's an everydayer, although not playing all that great, but that's a different conversation for another day. <laughs> um, no, he's like you said, his goal scoring isn't quite there yet, but the production is absolutely there. And though all four of those uh, assists he got in the Cleveland game last night were nice feeds. Like he plays with his head up when he gets the puck on his stick, he's looking for a pass almost every single time. He's very, very picky about the shots he takes. And he has to have a perfect opportunity to score, which sounds like Jeff Blaschel's kind of man, um, as Jeff Blaschel's a big scoring chance kind of guy. But he is definitely the type of player who opts to pass more often than shoot, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, because, again, he's 27 points in 30 games played with the Griffins this season. The production is coming via assists, and that's not a bad thing to have at the NHL level by any stretch of the imagination. No, definitely not. I mean, having someone that you know when he comes to the next level is going to see the ice very well, going to have a very good sense of the game is is not a bad thing at all, even if he's not filling the net. Um, I think a – I mean, especially down there in the lower lines, right? Like the ability to, to set up teammates and stuff is, you know, pretty straightforward and, and might seem like obvious things to say. But, uh, I mean, that's a that's an – invaluable skill that that some people never really master and having someone that not saying that he's mastered it by any stretch but but having somebody who's already that comfortable with sharing the love and sharing the sugar is is definitely a good thing to have especially again if you're going to be down there in the bottom six with uh at the beginning at least with with some you know, maybe a Phillips Adina or something. You know what I mean? Like it could stir in the pot. Could, you know, well, I'm just saying. Like I'm just saying. There, there are dudes down there that that we want to have the ability to score. And the top six, we found quite a lot of production and, and goal scoring from the bottom six we have. And, and maybe plugging in a a dude down there that has the ability to to pass that well and get that many assists and set up teammates is uh, might, might, might be a pretty damn good thing for this team. And just because he has eight goals on the season doesn't mean he can't score. And I, I right, mentioned it sure. a couple minutes ago that he's a very picky shooter. Um, his shooting percentage, Scotty, is 16.7%. So he's not taking a lot of shots, but the shots he does take are coming from prime scoring chances. And we saw it just a couple nights ago with that absolute filth of an overtime goal that he had. Unreal. Uh, he comes along the boards and takes the puck away from two dudes. He goes down the wing. Two dudes. Tri- causes the defenseman to trip and fall over himself. Turns back towards the goaltender. The defenseman gets up and then sees him coming, cut, cuts across. <laughs> Bergeron stops. The defenseman then overskates. The same one that fell over. And then he just puts it shoulder, uh, high shoulder, far side. Like, Dirty dangles, baby. It was just dirty dangles and incredible patience on Bergeron's part. And he was he was snatching ankles for his eighth goal of the season. I mean, that's just one hell of a one hell of a goal to score for your eighth goal. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. That's just what I mean when he he picks and chooses when to shoot, and when he does, it's a good it's a good shot. <laughs> yeah, may, you know, maybe shoot a little more. Let let's see what you got in the tank. You know what I mean? Like I I wouldn't mind seeing him, especially down in the AHL. You know, I I would want him to just fire away. And and see 
see the the amount of production you can you can really do and the kind of damage you can do and uh we saw in last night's game we saw the the four points and all four were assists um i i, I mean it's exciting it's exciting and and i i agree with you i i don't think you ruin any any rookie uh level anything with calling him up this year i don't think you call him up for that amount of time unless you're strapped with injuries and just like have to but i'm I'm pumped man and it's gonna be fun to have a a facilitator down there in the bottom lines when he first comes up i mean at this point he just kind of looks like he's nhl ready and i don't i mean this is where it's gonna suck for bergen where he's just gonna have to be patient where he's excelling at the AHL level and he's finally looks like he's comfortable and dominating from a playmaking standpoint. He's just going to have to be a little bit more patient with uh, Steve Eisenman and the Detroit Red Wings uh, to make the roster. But you're looking at a guy much like probably Simon Edmondson, who is going to be day one on this roster next season, because he's to a point and earlier in the season, I said the opposite. I said he needed some more AHL time because he, you know, he had was showing flashes, but doesn't didn't quite have it yet. Didn't quite have the confidence yet. Well, now the confidence is there. Now the playmaking ability is there. He he looks like he's mature and ready enough that I think day one next season he's on this roster, and I think it's the perfect time just flesh out this roster with young talent. Like this is the part of the rebuild where the young talent needs to take over this roster. We've already seen that takeover begin. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I, I think it's uh, he he's. I wouldn't call him a shoe in necessarily, but I, I, especially after the the way we saw the top prospects treated at the beginning of this season, I would be pretty shocked if if he wasn't on the opening night roster next year and in again probably the third or fourth line. But I, I would expect him to be a starter night one, and that's really exciting. And like you said, it's it's a new wave of of talent that's coming up, and and we're seeing these guys slowly start to to make the show and and put their, you know, stamp on the team is, is super exciting stuff. And uh, he, I don't like, I, I love players that, that are pass first like that. And, and I, I would like to see him shoot a little bit more just because I, I want to see kind of the, the ceiling of what we're dealing with, with goal scoring production. But uh, especially in the bottom lines, man, you will, uh, you will never see me upset of a, of a passer. I, I love, I love me a good facilitator, baby. Yeah, got to feed uh, Larks, got to feed Raymond, got to feed Zadina, feed the dogs. Eats. Everybody, Everybody eats. I got to talk to you guys today about Built Bar. Speaking of eating. Everybody eats Built Bar. Everybody eats Built Bars. Go get yourself one because you know why? They taste better than a freaking chemical spill. Better than a waxy, gross, chalky chemical spill. Of and that's why bar. everybody eats them. Because they're covered in 100% real chocolate. They Just only have... Smothered. Smothered. Just absolutely like... Drenched. Drenched. In real chocolate. What's the most disgusting word we can use to talk about how covered <laughs> in chocolate they are? Just slopping wet in 100% real chocolate. Um, with only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar that normally has 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and barely has any real chocolate on it whatsoever, just like a thin layer. And uh, you'll be wondering why you weren't eating Built Bars the entire time, especially when you talk about all the amazing flavors that Built Bar has. Coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, 
raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, and tons more. And there's constantly new flavors coming out. So make sure you check built.com frequently. So go to built.com, use promo code lock 15 to get 15% off your order. Use promo code lock 15 for 15% off at built.com to get your built bar that is just absolutely slopping wet and 100% real chocolate. Everybody eats, baby. Everybody eats. In three, two, and one. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so aggressive. Uh, segment two, Lockdown Red Wings podcast. Uh, speaking of aggressive, we're about to get very aggressive as we're going to talk about something that got very popular in the Twitterverse the other day. Yeah. Uh, and our boy... Nolan was kind of at the center of it again. He didn't start it, but maybe it's because he's on my timeline and not a lot. Nah, dude. He's, he's a pod. certified podster. That's just that that's Nolan Bianchi, man. Um, uh, I, I love that man to death. He's a he he that <laughs> certified podster. Absolutely. You love to see it too. It's just he he's given us so much content this season. Uh, he the Preds thing, for, man, for real. From just <laughs> like not part of the show at all anymore, and still giving us just free content because really that's the kind of dude on. he is. Yeah, we do. Um, so yeah, a couple days ago, probably about a week ago now, Ken Holland came out and's like, "I'm not going to give up my first round pick at the trade deadline," and everyone was just like, "This is why your team's not winning Stanley Cups." <laughs> um. Because last year he said that we're not going to buy in. You know, we're not going to go out there and spend and buy in at the trade deadline, despite Dry Saddle and McDavid having on pace for like 100 plus points again in a shortened season. It's it, the discourse became after that is like Ken Holland is a horrible GM. What is he still doing having a job? And then it altered from there once it hit Red Wing social media is he's always been a horrible GM. And I guess the question I have for you, Scotty, is we are several years removed from the Ken Holland era. And in hindsight, recency bias has a big effect on how people view it. And his last few years, as the te team completely got tore apart and went full into a rebuild, people look unfavorably on him. And do you feel that he was a bad GM? Because there are a lot of arguments now being made about he was a bad GM his entire time? Or do you feel like this is kind of unfair for Ken Holland to be viewed this way? Uh, no, I, I do not think Ken Holland for his entire Red Wings tenure was a bad GM. I think Ken Holland is a... Okay. There's different, different. <laughs> let's get into the nitty gritty of it. Okay. This is it's game time. All right. General managers in my eyes have different specialties, just like players do. Some players are goal scorers. Some players are facilitators. Some are great defenders, etc. As a fan of this team and as a fan of the Detroit Tigers, when you look at the different things that certain general managers are good at, I think that Dave Dombrowski, for instance, phenomenal GM, going to go down as one of the best general managers 
in the history of baseball. Deservedly so. Dave Dombrowski cannot be part of the start of a rebuild. Dave Dombrowski has never taken over a team and entered rebuild and 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 come out of of rebuild and that been like his thing. He's built up. He started at rock bottom and he's built up. Did it with the Marlins, did it with the Tigers. Um but he is he is a builder. And Ken Holland I think is good at maintaining success. So I I think that Ken Holland is what if once if he takes over a team and it becomes successful, he is he is good at maintaining that. Now that seems fairly obvious because we had an immense amount of success while he was here and and whatnot, and that's what's being argued, I guess, at the end of the day is whether that was really his fault or not, or his doing or not. I I don't think I. We can just get right out of the way. Horrible at rebuilds. The the teardown of this team was absolutely atrocious. It waited he, too long to be done. Yes. And, and to be fair to him, you and I both agree that there were some whispers from people above him that were like, hey, you keep this playoff streak and do whatever you have to do to keep this playoff streak along as long going as long as you can. I, I don't give a damn about, about no rebuild. Yeah. That being said, even when it was into rebuild mode, the teardown was pretty expletive-y, all right? So we can eliminate that right away. The build-up is up for debate, and the biggest thing with the maintain success that's up for debate is how much of that was actually a talent or because of Ken Holland being a good general manager, or did he just luck into having, you know, finding Zetterberg, finding Datsuk, and and just luck into the the early 2000s generation crossing over into the late 2000s generation, and none of that was to his credit. Yes. I agree with all of that. Here's the thing about the Ken Holland debate is that both can be true. He can both be a really good GM for some reasons and a really bad GM for others. Now, I think his time in Edmonton has been a dumpster fire. I think yes. being gifted not one but two generational talents and refusing to go all in when they are in their prime is, is a complete and utter failure on asinine. his part. But what you said about Ken Holland in his time here is completely true. And now there are two chief counterpoints to why people believe he was an awful GM his entire career. And I'll tell you those, but first, I got to talk to you guys today about betonline.ag. BetOnline. That's what you call a tease, Scotty. BetOnline would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our March to the playoffs and beyond. 
BetOnline remains the number one spot for the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKDOWN to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. BetOnline. BetOnline. Where the game starts. So, yeah, Scotty, the thing that I was going to mention, the two chief arguments that people are making is that, one, he rode every the coattails of Jim Davilano and everything he and Scotty Bowman had built together on the Detroit Red Wings. That 1997 Cup team and everything up to that point, he just got promoted in 1998 Absolutely. and rode that way. He, he didn't even have to build it up. And that's, again, back to my my point in the previous segment. He has proven that he's not good at building up, or, or I guess has yet to prove, I should say. He hasn't really been put in a situation where he's had to build up, except for now Edmonton, and he's been bad at it. Objectively, I think. And he also, on the tail end, has proven that he's bad at the teardown. Yes. So it's the middle of how good he actually was and how important he was to the maintained two decades of success. How much is that actually accredited to Holland? So here's where I actually disagree with the he riding the coattails. Um, before he was general manager, he spent seven years as the director of amateur scouting and three years, if I'm getting my, as assistant general manager for the Red Wings. And as a scout, he was partly responsible for the drafting of players like Nick Lidstrom, Sergei Fedorov, Vladimir Konstantinov, Darren McCarty, and Chris Osgood. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but those are pretty core pieces to the Red Wings' successful years. That's almost the entire core. Yeah. yeah. Sands, Sands about three or four dudes. Yeah, so... To say that he rode the coattails. Now, the GMs always get the credit in the end mm-hmm. when it comes to the, the drafting of players because they're the guys who get the most responsibility. So they get the most heat, but they also get the most credibility when a draft pick is done right. But to say that he had no role in the building of those teams, I think is unfair to Ken Holland. It's the same way that to give Ken Holland all the credit for the drafting of Pavel Datsuk is unfair to Hakan Anderson who did all the lugging around Russia from Sweden when it was really hard to get into Russia those days. And that's the other argument is that he got lucky with the drafting of Zetterberg and Datsuk. Um, and that if it weren't for Zetterberg and Datsuk, we, he would have been exposed years in advance, but it was because of a solid team that he had. And again, Hakan Anderson has been around forever. He's po- quite possibly the best European scout in yeah. NHL history. Absolutely. And so a lot of credit needs to be given to him for that Datsuk story. But the, 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 this narrative that's being strewn, um, spun rather, that spun, spun, uh, that Ken Holland and the Red Wings got lucky with Zetterberg and Datsuk is completely asinine because there's an incredibly awesome story behind why Datsuk got drafted. Yes, Hikon Anderson discovered Pavel Datsuk by accident, but he didn't see him and then go, let's draft him. He continued to follow up and draft and look at him when no one else in the league knew about this kid. So yeah, he discovered him by accident, 
but they continue to sc- scout this kid. That's how scouting works, people. You discover people by accident. The Red Wings committed to Datsuk, and then they drafted him after realizing this kid is underrated. And they were doing this years before the NHL was really drafting and scouting in Europe, and doing it in Russia was incredibly hard to get into Russia to scout those days. So to then discredit Ken Holland, and not just Ken Holland, but the entire front office, and saying that it was blind luck that they drafted Datsuk and Zetterberg when they did is just completely like you, you just, it's indignant to want to say at that point that it's it. Ken Holland was just a lucky general manager to say that he had no skill in what he was doing. He's also responsible for drafting Dylan Larkin. He's also responsible for drafting Anthony Manta, who, you know, it's still out in the jury, how good of a player he is, but he's shown flashes of being a dominant player responsible for drafting Tyler Bertuzzi. Some of the core players of the Red Wings this season are Ken Holland picks. Philip Zadina, a Ken Holland pick, and I know he's a polarizing player, but at that time, it was seen as an absolute steal grabbing Philip Zadina where they did. Not saying he's had numerous hits, though. He's also had slip-ups. Xavier Ouellette and Ryan Sproul, he took before Nikita Kucherov was taken off the board. Ryan Sproul one's tough, man. Yeah, those are, I mean, and Dennis Chalowski. You know, he had to trade Datsuk's contract away to get Dennis Chalowski. So right. he ended up missing out I'm, I, to, to get, oh, you know what I'm trying to say. No, he no, no. I'm agreeing. Yeah. I'm not. No, that was a, that was a, that was, yeah, yeah, that was a dumb move. Not a disagreement to you. Uh, yeah. And so they missed out on Chishurn out of it. So he's not perfect. And no GM is though. He's not. And the, the, near the tw- tail end of his career as general manager, he made a lot of mistakes. Sans the Tatar trade, a lot of his deals while tearing down were awful and his returns were awful. Terrible. But yeah, to say he was a terrible GM his entire time is untrue. To say he was a great GM his entire time is also untrue. For sure. And I I completely agree with you on the the Datsuk thing. Especially after um hearing uh Nolan has a has a great kind of insider story about Ken Holland going to see Pavel and, and his skates being too big and, and all that. And, and it's a, it's a great story. And when Nolan comes on, I'm, I'm sure he would, um, he would be thrilled to, to retell the story, but um, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's not fair at all to, to discredit the finding of, of late round talent. Like if, if, like, let's be honest with ourselves. If if Iserman drafted a dude in the seventh and he ended up being as good as Pavel, he would be given a, a key to the city. Yeah, we'd and, be calling be, him the Oracle. Right, and would right, and and we'd be stealing my my rightfully earned title. Like <laughs> that, you know what I mean? Like it's it like we can call a spade a spade here, and that that's that's absolutely true. That the same people that are saying that would would freak out if Steve did it, and um, and and it's like Iserman is is a I would say a marginally, a pretty significantly better general manager. I'm not trying to say that, but I, I, I everything doesn't have to be so extreme. Yeah, it's not. Like, he, it's not that he was either an awful GM or an awesome right. GM. Like it's honestly in the middle for the right. Detroit his tenure in the with the Wings. You know, absolutely. It, it doesn't have to be so black and white. Like he he can fall in the middle. He can have his good moments and his bad moments, and um. The one thing, and we t- kind of talked about this before we got on air. The the one thing with the the Zadina pick, um, 
in my eyes, like the logic of that being a steal and like that's what makes it good. If Zinio turns out to be a great player, then absolutely he deserves credit for it. And the GMs before him should all look stupid because he was projected to go way higher than where we got him. But if if he ends up not being a productive player, then it just turns into how did the four GMs ahead of you because what he was projected to go three, two, three? Two or three, yeah. How, how did the how did the three or four GMs ahead of you all realize that this dude wasn't what everyone said he was and you took the bait? And like that's a small thing. And and again, everybody has good moments and bad moments, and no GM is perfect. And and I completely agree with you on the Datsuk thing. And and at the end of the day, like I said, I I <laughs> maybe it's an anticlimactic answer, but you, you, you can be good at times and bad at times. That's just like how yeah. most things actually are in the world. Well, and in the end, I do think Ken Holland had overstayed his welcome and he was a chief, absolutely chief piece of Eisman leaving in the first place because he didn't want to change out of his general manager role. And you know, that's like the rumor. It's never been confirmed, but like that is Steve Eisman left for Tampa because they wanted him to be general manager. And Ken Holland said, no, is what the, what the rumor has always been. And the other, and I, I know we're up against time and we got to wrap it up, but like the biggest strength and weakness he had is his loyalty to players. And obviously his pre-cap versus post-cap debate, which we I don't think we're going to have time to get into about him being a good pre-cap general manager because he had a blank checkbook versus post-cap salary cap uh, because he didn't know how to balance a checkbook. Uh, is a whole different debate. But players came to play for Detroit because he was loyal to the players. He treated them well. And I think that was a boon before the salary cap when he could give them an excessive contract and a long-term to come play for player uh, te- the team. But it was also a bane post-salary cap when he's handing out four-year deals to guys like Justin Abdelkader and Darren Helm who are already on the tail end of their prime and not you know, traject- projecting in a good uh, direction. So... That loyalty is what draws players to Ken Holland and for many years. And it's just, in the end, it's, was he an awful GM? No. Did his tenure end well? Also no. But can you say that his entire tenure, tenure here was, like, he was awful the entire time because he rode coattails? No, that's unfair. In the end, he was still a general manager to three Stanley Cup contending teams. And the roster did see turnover. the playoffs. Yeah. <laughs> like every year until his last season, like, like I just, or his last I, two years. I just get sick and tired of this discourse that Ken Holland is awful when he just wasn't, he was near the end. Yeah. You could make the argument that he was bad. And I, I, I'll concede that because he doesn't know how to rebuild. He had never had to do that in his career before. I mean, up until that point, he was part of a right. team that was building up towards greatness. And then, so if he was, he spent seven years. So he joined the Red Wings organization in the late 80s. So the team was still bad at that point, but they were trajectorying upwards, and he wasn't responsible for that build besides his amateur scouting role and his assistant GM. He had never been the guy behind the wheel of a full rebuild before. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and again, like that, we, we everyone agrees that he's the way he handled that was bad here, right? Like like no one no one's trying to say that he's a he's a good rebuilding GM, but – GMs have their strengths and weaknesses, just like like I said at the beginning, just like players do. And I, and I think the way it, the amount of talent that you have on your team is not a, a negative. 
Like that's that's a ridiculous thing to to imply that oh his team was too talented so he wasn't actually. A it's good the Chris DM. Osgood argument. What the hell is that? Man? You know what I mean? Like that's ridiculous. That's that's just preposterous to argue. So yeah, it's I completely the, it's agree. The same thing that's keeping Chris Osgood out of the Hockey Hall of Fame, right? Because they always say that he had too much good talent around him and that his stats are inflated because he played with guys like Nicholas Lidstrom. Like the dude had four hundred wins. Right. Like, what are we arguing about? And, like, and he's responsible for bringing in a lot of the talent from the 08 Cup team on. Also, all, all, all the talent, really, from the, well, not from the 08 specifically, but on. He, Wings, he's responsible for bringing in everybody. The Wings won the Cup in 08 because Dominic Hasek was ass in the first round. And Chris Osgood, as the backup, had to start, take over the starting role, got on a tear, and they won the Cup. Granted, I mean, just oh, are we I, back on Osgood? We're, yeah, we're no, Osgood. yeah. <laughs> Let's get riled up about that too. Let's go, no, brother. We got it. Ready we for battle. I'm going to war with you, Brian. Let's go. Osgood to the hall. Uh, thanks for making Lockdown Red Wings your first listen every day. And I'll make your second listen, Lockdown Bets, your daily one stop shop for all your gambling needs. Lockdown Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. In the end, guys. Ken Holland is a bad GM for the Edmonton Oilers and what he is yes. doing with the talent they have is asinine, but let, let's not let that skew what he did accomplish with the Red Wings, but let's also not forget how it ended. He was a good GM for a long time until he wasn't. Both are true. All right. We settled and in bait. No GM is perfect. Yeah. He made mistakes during the good era, good era of wings hockey made mistakes during the bad era. Yeah. Um, but the success that he had here is undeniable. So this debate, we've settled it. No one's ever got to argue about Ken Holland again. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's how Twitter works. <laughs> um, any final thoughts, man? Weeball. Weeball. Uh, yeah, we'll be back with you. Uh, back. I always say that. Back with you. We'll we... be back with you. Yeah, you, the listener. Uh, on tomorrow's episode, same time. Same place. It's your team. Every day. Every day.